Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, it's back for season eight already, and we are joined on the podcast today by two Formula E experts. One, our outgoing Formula E expert, and one, our incoming. But both names should be very familiar with. First of all, on the podcast, Matt Q, you will no longer be doing the Formula E beat. Uh, but welcome to the podcast. You're joining us uh, to hand the baton over, as it were, aren't you? Absolutely. Um, I can't give an official reason as to why I'm moving on, but it, it may or may not be unrelated to the fact that BMW, Audi and Mercedes all left while I was covering it. So I think, you know, for the for the future survival of this championship, it's probably best if I move away and, and, and we'll know if I go on to cover another series and manufacturers leave that, we'll know that it, it's me that's the problem and, and someone who needs locking up. Perhaps JBL could have a word with them all and say, aren't you all going to be making electric cars in the future? Why on earth would you be leaving an electric car series? I'm sure they haven't been asked that yet. Uh, on to our uh, second guest today. And really, this will be your podcast going forward, uh, JBL, because you are picking up the baton. Uh, JBL, welcome to the podcast. Looking forward to a, a really interesting season for many reasons, yeah? Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, I have massive shoes to fill, not just uh, literally, but figuratively as well. 
it, it's it's a new challenge. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting on with it. I've done a few Formula E races before, so I kind of know the lay of the land a little bit. But lots of interesting people, lots of interesting teams, uh, and lots of interest about the championship as well going forward. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm 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 pumped. So Formula E aims to be more of the same with homologation and staying with some technical regulations, but also still to be the series which tries to predict the unpredictable with a shake-up in qualifying, but also an interesting challenge they've set themselves this year. Uh, Matt, just we haven't really sort of talked since pre-season testing. It was, what, about a month ago now? How was that, and how does that lead into the first event this year? The cars are the same, and underneath the bodywork, all the technology is the same for this season. They've had a bit more power and can change the software, but um, the hardware is mandated, so... The people who are quick last season are quick again this season and uh, and with a new qualifying format, it's designed to keep the quick people at the top. So, you know, we, we can take a fairly good guess at the competitive order. Mercedes will be fastest again. I mean, they, they had the fastest car in normal conditions and they were hurt most by qualifying uh, the former group, the group format that sort of distorted their pace. So take that away and, and they're in for a really strong season. The two good bits of news, really, over the recent months are the, the announcement that Gen 3 is happening and a teaser as to what that might look like and that Maserati will, will join for that period and, and also there's a cost cap. However, none of those are in effect for this year and it feels like we're just in a little bit of limbo. So what it feels like to me is a Gen 2 car, you know, in an ideal world, would A, had a facelift uh, last season, but it's now being kept on another year and to it, it feels like a real world beta test of qualifying for for 15 races i think or 16 races that's the main talking point so if you look at what's going on in in formula one you have a new technical rules package everyone's very excited about that but you can still sort of each year new front wings new designs there is something really to differentiate the cars uh you know although it's not as much as it was in the 70s or as, as people like to go on about but formula e really has a problem where the cars all look the same and since the you know electric has become synonymous with a light blue color all the liveries look the same as well now so it's quite hard to get quite hard to get really pumped i guess when when the covers come off i guess so but look let's talk about this qualifying format it could be simpler and i think it'll take just the viewers watching it in action to fully understand it a new knockout structure with drivers competing in groups and head-to-head duels. It's basically the World Cup every qualifying session. JBL, do you want to have a, a bash at explaining what's happening this year? This is another, this is like the F1 podcast, isn't it? When I have to explain something in depth that could be done better visually. <laughs> yeah. If you could, please. Well, I think I'm still trying to get my head around it. But yeah, you do have two groups uh, and all of the, so for the first race in Diria, um, every team is going to have one car in each group. So the field is split in two and then the fastest four of each group go through to the quarterfinals. Um, And so one car, depending on their position, is drawn against uh, another car from the other group. So whoever was fourth in group A will be drawn against first in group B and it goes on and on. And then uh, fourth in group B is drawn against first in group A. Um, And then that will go through to the semifinals. Uh, Whoever's the fastest time in each of those sessions will go through and then are drawn against their equivalent in the next session. And then you'll get to the final and that decides the front row and whoever wins that final will get pole position. Uh, and then the rest of the grid will be decided from there. So it's, uh, could be easier to explain. It could be less complicated, but, uh, you know, it can't be any more unfair than the group system was before that. The, um, the four group system and super pole format, was before so i'm looking forward to seeing it in action i'm looking forward to seeing 
happier drivers at the front end and then you'll have drivers that are a little bit further back who are less happy because they're not getting into Super Bowl. Will it be more representative of the pecking order? So we'll have less of the lower teams at the front and then, which was always designed to have more overtaking and just the effect of so many drivers being upset at the end of qualifying as almost putting their hands in the air and saying, what's the point in this? Because I can't qualify where I should be. Do you think this kind of gets back towards uh, more of a uh, a predictable grid? I think so. Um, Nick DeVries in testing said that he was, you know, expecting that to be the case. Um, obviously, Formula E is kind of quite jumbled up as it is, and it can have the propensity to produce very exciting results or offbeat results, if you like. Um, and maybe qualifying beforehand was just adding to that and it was just making it even more unpredictable and so if you look at last season for example there wasn't a real tangible championship narrative if you like obviously De Vries was at the top and he won but you know it could have been the case that one thing happened in one race and you have somebody completely different so I think halfway through the season Edo Mortara just suddenly was in championship contention out of nowhere and then towards the end of the season you know drivers that were in the fight from the start weren't in it anymore and it just seemed a little bit unfair that you couldn't really build on momentum because there really wasn't any um so hopefully qualifying will sort of reward those that you know do a good job that work hard at the track that you know learn the circuits and get the software right rather than sort of just being a a lottery really the issue with the qualifying as well is that now that the cars will converge because we've had this regulations for for what four seasons now is that back then you know if you're if you're, let's say, your Neo, your definitive backmarker qualified well through this quirk of the format, you could expect a, a Mercedes, an Audi, whatever, to overtake them. But now when there's only a tenth of a second difference per lap in, in the quickest car and the slowest car, then, you know, where's where's the opportunity? Where's the car in tenth place that's got the massive pace advantage over the next eight cars in front of it to overtake so you still have a, a deserving winner and and lots of excitement in the pack you don't have that anymore I think also um obviously it's easier with the gift of hindsight and we know now that Formula e is going to be live on on channel four this season but if you're an audience member and one week you're watching Degrassi win and you get to know him because he's vocal and he's charismatic and he's in a good car. And then next week you tune in and it's a Norman NATO. What's a Norman NATO? And that's no disrespect to him. But if there was, what, um, 11 different race winners last week, when Formula E, one of its problems that it's trying to sell in a, in a sort of pandemic recovery to its manufacturers is that, you know, it's it's good marketing. It's, it's got good commercial outlook. There needs to be a big and solid and committed audience. Formula E has struggled with that for a while. Having 11 different race winners, yes, it makes it unpredictable, it makes it exciting, but it doesn't help that. What you need really is a Stoffel Van Dorn to win three races, a De Costa to win five races, and then them to say something controversial in the headlines. If they're repeat faces, there's something to get behind, something to you know build up a fan base, and that will then play into Formula E growing its audience, which is, again, one of the main reasons we've got this change in quality format. Is that a common feeling in the paddock? You were in, you know, you were you were travelling with the Formula E gang last year. Is that feeling reflected amongst the teams and others as well, or is that just something that that you know, sort of you feel you might be a bit of an outlier with that opinion? No, I think it's fair. So you know, let, let's look at a few examples on the grid. Mercedes, obviously, you know, they were losing their championship at some stages through this qualifying format. They have no interest in it. 
Neo, they don't really profit from it, or Dragon, they don't really profit from it anyway because they, you know, what do they do? They qualify fifth and then and then fall back to 18th. That doesn't make them look good. And then you've got your Porsches, who or whatever, who are a massive name, and you're just lost in the midfield. So it is generally it's coming from pretty much every side now that you know we they don't really buy into this. Oh, it's everyone can qualify on pole quite so easily anymore because the field's so competitive. You know that's that's not really happening as as the design of the group qualifying format initially intended and so we've just got sort of a random take your pick if it rains all that that muddles up the order a bit further like it's just as as, as jbl perfectly said there was no narrative there's no it was like it was like um it was like black mirror almost black mirror is fantastic but no episode is interlinked apart from the little easter eggs that you've got to really spot out for there's not like a series where you know there's character development or whatever it's just one weekend this happens, the next weekend another happens, and 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 that's not good. That's not. Let's be honest about when we're talking. That is not what Netflix audience wants. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I cast my mind back to the end of last year, and after the Formula One title decider, the uh, mum, some of the mums and dads were talking outside nursery, and they don't really know what I do. And uh, one of the mums was just saying what an, an amazing race it was yesterday. She's never watched Formula One before. She uh, she was wondering when halftime was going to be. She was like football. So uh, so she was a bit disappointed. She couldn't uh, she couldn't stop. It's a bit boring after a while. But it was all about the battle. between. Uh, it had been built up between two main people who she recognised, who she understood. Obviously, one of them was British. So again, she's like, oh, the British media are going to always play up Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. But that's the ultimate example, I guess, of that you know, everywhere that you looked at for that race, it was just their two faces on banners. It was the battle. It was the duel. So our kind of opposite of, of, of Formula E. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mercedes team then. Uh, they went into the last season, if not favourites, with huge expectations of taking the title. And they did. And now they have to defend it. JBL, do you think they can do that this year as they don't want to end you know, they don't want to end in a kind of just limping out of the season. Surely they want to go out on a high or I don't know. What do you think they can do? Uh, they'll be up there again for sure. Um, you know, it's always very, very difficult to look into testing times and say this is a clear uh, picture of what we're going to see this year. But, you know, they were incredibly quick in testing uh, and so were the Venturi team as well, which also uses the uh, Mercedes powertrains. You know, they've got two fantastic drivers, we know how good Stoffel van Dong can be when he's in, you know, when he's in a good car, not his Formula One career. That kind of coincided with a uh, dreadful machinery, but he's incredibly, incredibly good. And then obviously they have the reigning champion, Nick de Vries, who throughout last year's uh, chaotic uh, championship narrative, let's say, was the one that, that, that won out, um, you know, against, you know, the qualifying system and, uh, you know, other factors that sort of came his way you know he was that he was the championship winner you have to look at them and say once again they are the favorites and as you say of course um they're not going to want to sort of limp out quietly you know they are the team itself without mercedes backing is still looking to continue in the championship and they need to be attractive to a prospective buyer uh, as i understand it you know discussions are underway um you know if a purchase hasn't been agreed already but you know, they're looking forward to having someone who can take them forward and move that team on and they'll want that continuity and they'll want to finish as the Mercedes work team works team 
on a high and then go out, get a new buyer and, and continue into the future. For anyone listening to this podcast who maybe is even just coming into Formula E now and hearing, well, there's a manufacturer who is leaving at the end of the season, who who is meant to be all about electrification of their road cars and leaving an electric series at a time when next year we get the Gen 3 cars. Again, for anyone coming into this, can you just explain what happened last year with some of those big names leaving the series and the justifications for that as well? BMW is is sort of the the anomaly. Just when it just went quiet on Formula E, there was no dialogue and then and then honestly they they're gone now, so you know, let's let's hope that their lawyers aren't listening, but they they just sent the email they sent the email to Formula E basically you've got an hour guys to prepare your statement heads up. I was in um, the Valencia terminal ready to fly home after testing. I was stood with the Andretti guys when they got the notification going, Oh, Oh dear. What are we going to do now? So it, it was just poorly communicated. So that's, that's, that's one example. Mercedes is a bit more complex. Uh, Britta Sega, who's on, on the Daimler board, she pushed for their entry. And as you're right, they've, they've committed something eye-watering. I want it, you know, tens of billions of pounds towards ele- electric shift. But them and like BMW have said, we think we can learn more about electric racing from from um, other series and, and with Mercedes, that's Formula One. I think the issue here is that you've got generational rule cycles, right? So these this technology has been in play for four years and there now there's a cost cap of, um, what is it, 30, 38 million for their team and, and the powertrain, 25 million for their powertrain. 25 million for Mercedes is... A drop in the ocean so you can go why are they leaving formula e if it's costing them so little yes but they're not learning anything anymore the electric powertrain the 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 motor the inverter the gearbox the things you can fiddle with they're 95 percent plus efficient anyway if you read anything about the automotive world just about making your car go from the shops and back further it's all about battery technology which is a closed shop in formula e so you've got the generational rule cycles which are too slow and targeting the wrong areas and then you have the things i mentioned earlier about you know in a post-pandemic world there's been no marketing there's been that no what's that buzzword like activation there's been none of that the audience isn't big enough and it sounds like i have a downer i on formula e. i don't i have you know my personal views i quite like it but they are the reasons why mercedes left so that is me i sound negative but that is why they chose to chose to leave what about the impression from motorsport that the technology that you see on the racetrack is in some way going to filter down to your car whether that's true or not people have always watched racing on a sunday afternoon with some kind of belief whether they know it or not that well this is the latest greatest technology and this is going to end up in my in my car one day isn't hasn't that still got some value even in marketing but then again we've seen i guess vw with things like the uh, the idr the pikes peaks runs and and you see that at, at goodwood it, it you know it's just a one-off vehicle they've made to have a play porsche have done something similar um with a uh w- with a car that i've seen in the news recently just kind of just playing about with stuff like a carbon fiber um uh, like space frame that wouldn't be you know fia compliant but they're like well we're just having a play are these manufacturers more interested in these kind of one-off niche little things that do garner a fair bit of attention or jbl do you think there's still a case for people watching racing and thinking well you know i i drive an audi to work tomorrow morning and audi just won the race i think as matt said um it is very much down to the batteries and i remember speaking to um ex-F1 engineer Sergio Rinland about this, who's very sort of active in the EV scene. Um, and, and he said the, the requirements of the batteries in Formula E 
as well, just it's very far removed from what you want on the road. Um, you want a different kind of energy density uh, and that's what you want to develop and you want range and you want to ensure that, you know, your car is going to go as far as possible, uh, uh, you know, at, at leisurely speed. And in Formula E, it's a little bit different, but there is still marketing value to that. You know, obviously the old racing adage is win on Sunday, sell on Monday, or in Formula E's case, win on Saturday, sell some point in the week, maybe. But we do have a new manufacturer coming in, uh, for the Gen 3 regulations. So uh, there's still apparently value there. Um, obviously, Stellantis is bringing in another brand that's bringing in uh, Maserati for Gen 3. Um, what that's sort of the shape and form of that is still yet to be decided. Um, some speculation that they'll just straight up use a rebadging deal for a DS powertrain. Uh, some suggestions that they'll use some DS components and other parts they'll design themselves and develop themselves. Um but apparently there's still value there. There's still value for manufacturers. And I think when we see Gen 3 in action, um, we'll sort of understand a little bit more about that. But as it stands, um, yeah, I think, yeah, as Matt said, BMW sort of felt they didn't feel they could learn anymore. And I think they communicated as such in their press statement um, when, when they were leaving. And I guess that was the same. Yeah, the, the exact word, JBL, <laughs> was we, we have exhausted the technologies in Formula e. Exhausted. What a word. And that, and that has to get signed off at so many levels before it gets released. <laughs> there you have it. Wow. I spent some time with Williams at Extreme E. And again, the, the batteries there are just nothing to do with the teams. And, uh, and their, their head of engineering there was saying, well, when, you know, if a battery's not operating optimally for the Extreme E teams, they just give it back to us and we give them another one and they bolt it up underneath the car. And then we worry about... And it's interesting because the cells inside it are what you would find in a lot of road cars in, you know, Tesla Model 3s and Ys. It's the same... It's the same form factor cell. So they're, you know, if, if, if they wanted to explain it like that, like, hey, the what powers your road car is powering these race cars, but there's no interest in that, really. So the, the teams don't want to go down that route and they just hand the battery pack and a, a new one comes from Williams. And Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you Two could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Uh, and off they go. Um, let's talk a little bit about the drivers then. And ex-Formula One drivers, whether we like it or not, always get their unfair share of attention. And this year, of course, we have uh, Gio Venezzi joining Dragon. Matt, do you find uh, when you're in the paddock that there is more of a buzz around the ex-Formula 1 drivers? Or by the time they get to Formula E, are they just like the rest of us? Probably the latter, really. <laughs> I know that in several instances, drivers have you know done a single-seater ladder, F3, F2, got to, done a little bit of F1, and then they've come in Formula E. And the PRs are like, come on, guys, like be less corporate, say something. We're trying to, again, come back to that bigger audience we want some headlines say something controversial don't just stick to the party line and thank all your sponsors so there is a bit of that Antonio Giovinazzi is going to be a fascinating case in point you know I I don't know how aware he was of Formula E particularly before he joined but but in terms of making your debut coming from F1 you know step down I think his time at Dragon Penske Autosport is going to be eye-opening to him um, I think, you know, 
as as we understand it, he did the Valencia test without a race engineer. That is indicative of a lot of the um, revolving door policy at Dragon Penske Autosport. Um, you know, when when JBL, JBL and I were waiting for him for his first press conference, he was escorted up there by like the second in command of the team. They have no press officer. Again, that is reflective of a team that is a bit of a disarray. You look at, you know, the sponsors on it, Billboard magazine and, and the Rolling Stones, those sponsors are owned by the team owner. What does that say about the team? And drivers that have left mid-season, staff that have left mid-season, a powertrain that wasn't particularly quick last year. I think for a guy coming from, you know, a, a, a stable F1 seat that he had for many years, run by someone like Fred Vassour, who you know knows how to look after young drivers, I don't think he's going to get quite the same experience in Formula E. Um, and you have to ask, whether what well but that might be okay what's his purpose is it to keep himself relevant for two years to get a Ferrari wet drive then that works fine but given how difficult an environment Dragon is it's not necessarily going to be let's look at another rookie which is which is Dan Tictum at Neo that is a slow car but it's a stable environment that is a much easier plat or much better platform which to go I'm impressive so now give me a mid-table drive and then I can get a top seat Dragon is just its own sort of little a microcosm of madness, I, I suppose. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on there. Uh, and we must remember that he and Dan Tixon had to, during testing, hotfoot it to Saudi Arabia for their F1 and F2 responsibilities. So they both missed the final day as well. So they're going to be coming to Diria with a massive shortfall when running. Um, uh, and that's going to be something that they're really going to have to get on top of quickly. Um Giovinazzi did test a Formula E car before way back in the day. It was a long time ago. It was probably around 2016 or something like that. But obviously that was the Gen 1, so it's very far removed from what we have now. Um, the upside is that the the Dragon livery is very similar to the Alfa Romeo one. So there is some familiarity there with a, a white and metallic red car, um, which I'm sure will make, you know, a, give them a couple of tenths at least. But it, it will be difficult. But as Bat said, you know, when Ferrari moves into work with its hypercar formula, um, you know, will he be, you know, have potential to move into a seat there or will he be a potential target for Maserati? And this is just a learning season for him so that he can get his foot in the door with, you know, a works team. Um, you know, there's lots of possibilities for him and, and this is kind of a learning year. I, I don't want to cast too much aspersions on Dragon um, because, you know, it has worked for some drivers, uh, you know, Maxi Gunter, you know, had to go through a period of not knowing whether he was going to have the seat for the full season or not a couple of seasons ago. Turned out he didn't because uh, Felipe Nazar took over for some rounds, but, you know, he's ended up moving up the grid. So if Giovinazzi can sort of put his head above the madness and, and get some results together, then, you know, he can continue to kick on. I'm, I think we know how good he is. Uh, and then we have we have Dan Tictum as well, um, you know, another driver that's going to have to sort of settle in relatively quickly despite a day less in testing um you know we know his temperament from f2 we know what he's like um he should be a very very interesting character to have in the paddock um but i think you know if he can keep his head get his head down and just continue to learn and, and not get too frustrated with a, a team that historically hasn't fought for for too much then you know he can do a good job and he's got oliver turvey who is probably one of the you know, best benchmarks you can probably have in the series because he's a veteran. He's been there. He's done it all. Uh, he's punched well above his weight in that car. And then I think 
the rookie that's probably going to have the best time of it is Oliver Askew, who moves over from sort of a, being a seat filler in IndyCar. He didn't really get a fair chance there. Um, but, you know, he comes into Formula E and he's, you know, his eyes are pretty wide open. He sort of knows the scale of the task at hand. He was very sort of detailed about how different the car is compared to IndyCar as well. Um, you know, he says that, you know, you just can't load the Formula E car into the corner as much as you can with an Indy car uh, because, you know, tire, the car's heavier, the tyres are completely different. But, you know, he seems well uh, well versed in what he needs to do and what he needs to learn. Again, he's got a very good teammate in Jake Dennis who was fantastic last season. So that's a good barometer. Um, uh, and hopefully, you know, he'll just quietly impress. And I think he's very capable of that. Capable of that. Well, I, I think you two have been incredibly mean to Neo and Dragon. They may they may surprise you. They probably won't. Matt, let's move into that kind of next tier of teams, the kind of Mahindras, Porsches, Nissans of the world. Last year, with the, the way that qualifying was, and was it more realistic to think, rather than just snatching an occasional result, that they, they had more chance of being up at the front whereas this year do you think it will fall into kind of a more of a midfield pattern and we'll see less of those teams yeah i I suppose on balance that's fair if you look at um a couple say like mahindra you know uh, we know how much that that car last season struggled with with its tires and you know that that was more apparent i suppose when you know someone like alex lynn qualified higher up and then fell back during the race it's not something we're necessarily paying uh, quite as much attention to, I suppose, if if you're qualifying in in the mid pack. Um, Porsche is the interesting one. They have, um, you know, one. It's Porsche. It's it's a motorsport titan that is so far. Uh, I think the only thing you can say is it's underperformed in Formula E. Okay, it had the win taken away last year by arguably a draconian penalty because it didn't. You know, its technical passport wasn't wasn't correct. But you know that that was a rule and it failed to meet it. So there was an error there and it has had a couple of polls. Um, they have, yeah, they have a new vice president of motorsport, Thomas Loudon back who looks over the whole sort of whole program. Um, and, and he came in after, after um, Pascal Zalinden left and we're told he left for personal reasons. He's got a, a job at Multimatic now, but what I will say about his departure is Pascal was someone who was very hands-on with a Formula E team that was underperforming. So whether those two are linked I can I can possibly you know put my neck on the line, but it, it seems as much. Um, but what's interesting is you've got a new boss, but the vernacular is the same. That is, we will win. We have a car capable of winning. So Porsche, and they've obviously recruited now uh, Florian uh, uh, Modlinger, I think, uh, from from Apps and Audi. So the question is, if they're still saying we can win with a car and software that's you know largely carried over from last season, have they spotted somewhere where? The car was underperforming because they've got the two same drivers in Pascal Verline and Andre Lotterer. So they're, you know, why are they saying that they're so confident they're winning? Is it because, you know, the likes of Vodafone and Taikoya sort of pay 80% of that team? So they're trying to, you know, keep the faith with them? I don't know, but they they, they need to. And I think also, you know, we're, we're hearing that, you know, the VW group is so close to joining F1. I think F1 exists alongside a LMDH programme. I don't think it also has a third prong, which is Formula E in there. So that needs to win so that A, it can justify to it's, it's, it, the boardroom why that programme is still going on, or, or B, they can go out on a high, because otherwise this will be the most high-profile failure of a Porsche motorsport programme in years. I'm struggling to think of another one that's come close. So another one to look at. Nissan is, is really peculiar because coming into last season, they were like many people's 
preseason favourites, really. You know, they had their twin motor powertrain banned and and they took a bit of time to recover from that. But after the COVID break last uh, in, what was it, uh, season six, they were they were super quick and people thought, right, they've, you know, they've caught up the lost ground. They're going to carry that momentum. They really struggled last year. Oliver Rowland's gone to Mahindra. Puemi was sort of, nowhere really for a really you know and we can see he's in in the hypercar in the toyota hypercar he's still mega quick he just had a, a really rubbish season and it just never got momentum so if he can bounce back with with gunter alongside having you know who we know is a bit you know trees or trophies sort of um he's he's very quick on his day but very crashy on his other gunter the shunter i think is his un, unfriendly unfriendly nickname so you know that that has all the ingredients on a good day to be a brilliant team but on the bad day it can also be sort of nowhere so but it isn't isn't that the beauty of motorsport is that you have that you know whether it's like your effective class b in formula one or in in formula e that on their day they can win they can get podiums but also they can be sort of 18 so you know there's that huge flux which is which is quite an interesting plot point in and of itself and of course porsche the new tycon safety car in series colours, I guess. Well, but still. They did a press release saying the livery of that is like all 11 teams. I think that's complete rubbish. I think the back of it is a Rothmans 956 livery and the front of it is Martini from, what, 935. So I think they've got, oh, it's 11 teams. <laughs> I actually think the Heritage Department, come on, come on, let's get this out here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, you know, that that's probably a pretty smart move because people will see, you know, that road car a fair bit this year um a road car that sells pretty well uh, more than the 911 i was reading a couple of weeks ago uh, in 2021 so there's a there's a direct relationship there to the cars that porsche will want you to be buying um uh, jbl who has got the best chance of taking it to mercedes um you know we're looking at jaguar uh, ds Chetita. Has anyone got a chance of doing it, or or do you see them as clear favourites? I think Jaguar probably has the best chance if they can sort of get it together. Um, you know, Mitch Evans has been fantastically quick. He just hasn't been able to put a season together for, you know, whatever reason, um, due to maybe, you know, qualifying being uh, a lottery or just bad luck or whatever. And Sam Bird's incredibly quick as well. Um, and, you know, he's been in the series the longest and people are probably surprised that he's still not a, a champion at this point. And he's, you know, he's had those opportunities. They push each other on very, very well. So Jackie was really got the lineup that could potentially do it. They just need to get that technical package, you know, hitting the high notes every single weekend and they should be in the fight. Um, I think Venturi as well is another team you have to look at. Um, it was a little bit split last year. Mortara were really surprised by finishing second in the championship last year. And Norman Nato took a little bit of time to get up to speed, but they've now replaced him with Lucas Degrassi, who departs, uh, you know, Audi after they've gone. So they've got two drivers that can win races and fight at the sharp end of the championship. So they'll really push. They'll really push Mercedes all of the way, I think. Uh, Envision could be up there, um, potentially. Robin Frines is, very, again, another very quick driver. And Nick Cassidy, you know, had his moments last year. It was a really, really good season from from him. Um, can Jake Dennis fight again at the top with Andretti? Um, you know, they don't have the BMW support this year, so they're going to kind of have to do it alone and work on that software kind of on their own. So there's a lot of questions. Um, and then, obviously, as you mentioned, DS to Cheetah, um, incredibly incredibly good at the start of this rules cycle had a little bit of an off year last year and couldn't really defend their titles but 
again, we, they've got two champion drivers, so you cannot count them out at any point. Um, so if they're able to get that powertrain working again, if Sean Eric Verne is able to have another season like he did two years ago, if Antonio Felix Costa is able to fight at the top, they're another contender as well. So we've we've got lots of options there. Mercedes has to be looking in their rearview mirrors because there's uh, a lot of competition. All right, let's finish up on uh, this year and the, the coverage that we'll be doing, but also um, the coverage that people will be watching. Matt, you mentioned it uh, just uh, at the beginning of the podcast about Channel 4's new coverage. Formula E hasn't suffered from being off of pay telly. Um, so was it ITV, Channel 5, BBC, Channel 4? Like the, These are all places that if you want to watch the sport, it's very, very easy to watch it for free, not locked away um, you know, behind paywalls. What do you think about how the sport is this year, the challenge it has to communicate? Because I remember um, like Audi, Audi made something. It was either something for rally or they made Audi made something last year. And they're like, they did a really good job of explaining how this is this technology was a direct result of Formula E and then had to really explain why they were leaving it. And then they were like, no, this is good. We're using these motors. We've developed them. We've done loads of work um, with the engineers and we're bringing together automotive and racing. Uh, and then they had to admit well yeah this is this is awkward because we're actually leaving the series like they that was such a kind of a mess of communication but as a series i mean matt and and, you know you'll be watching from the sidelines a bit this year but what do you think they've got to do to to engage those fans that that next set of fans to watch formula e we're talking about this a a couple of days after they uh formula e released a three-minute trailer for the season they just got universally panned on social media because it had a recreation of an airborne crash, but with a different driver in graphics. And then three drivers get out of the car, run through a, 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 kitchen, a restaurant kitchen and then still finish ahead of all the rest of the pack. So that was a bit of a messy video. Um, I think I think if I could end end the podcast on a positive spin, having been sort of a bit downbeat about Formula Ray all the way through, I think they're doing the right thing. You know, they've, they've looked at effective sister series, Extreme E, which was... You know, I'm not sure how the rival networks felt about it, but it was on BBC, ITV, BT Sport and Sky Sports. You know, whether those contracts conflicted with each other, I don't know. Extreme E is a more environmental series, so ITV can go, well, this also fits in with our sustainable policy. But you don't have to dig very deep to know that those rights packages weren't worth an awful lot of money. It was, it was, They were being packaged up and gifted to the broadcaster saying, you know, you can show it for... It's, it's free telly, basically, for you. It's a, it fills a hole in your schedule. And, and that's fine. That's fine. And, you know, it's 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 sort of like... if, if Yeah, again, if, if you give it away for free, then the numbers will be bigger. If you bury it on Eurosport, which is hard to find and costs money, it, you know, no one's going to put eyes on it. And I think Formula have taken a lesson from that. You know, it's going to be on, on Channel 4. What a time to do it because, you know... Uh, let's talk about the 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 people in in your, at your school, Martin, or, or your your child's school. They they've they've you know they thought Formula One had half time, right? So, but what they've done is they've watched the full race live on Channel Four. Are they necessarily going to notice the difference between Formula One and Formula E straight away? You know, when they see it on their TV guide, not necessarily. For ten years, I always tuned into Channel Four Racing to be disappointed when it was a load of horses. But are they going to see it? And it's in you know similar broadcast slots. Even if it's going to be sponsored by Bristol Street Motors, the TV coverage. So is Formula One. It's going to look very similar. People are going to tune in, and if the qualifying format does work, and they go, "Oh, I I recognise the name Stoffel Van Dorn or or a Sam Bird," then you know maybe that is enough to keep coming back and just. 
I'm trying to think what what way round have they done it? Have they done build it and they will come, or are they doing it sort of the other way around? But I think you know, just getting it in front of as many eyes as possible. And it's like it's like you know you two will know because you you pay attention to the data a lot more than me. But you've also got that like retention rate, haven't you? So if if you've got let's say for argument's sake, a hundred thousand people tuning into Form Three for the first time this weekend, you know, are they going to stick around for the full forty-five minutes race? Are they going to watch Vernon K and Darrow Frankitty analyze it after? Are they going to come back next week? And and they're they're the you know they're they're that's the audience they need to engage and. Just by having it accessible and at a time that, you know, certainly on the Friday might not necessarily conflict with the Premier League, they're, they're all good things. So it has to work. I don't think it will suddenly be millions, but just by having it in an accessible place, it just means so much. Last word to you, JBL, uh, as you get ready to take uh, this on for this year. Um, how will Autosports and Motorsport.com's uh, coverage go across the year because that coverage has kind of evolved as Formula E has evolved as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. Well, I'll be uh, first of all try, just trying to get my feet <laughs> under the table, but we'll have all of the usual news reports and race <laughs> roundups and uh, podcasts and various other media, I'm sure. Um, uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, let's see into the future what, what we'll do, what we'll have the capacity to do. Um, but, you know, I'll be on the ground for all of the races, uh, you know unless anything horrible happens, which I hope it doesn't. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, but I'm looking forward to giving it everything. Uh, I'll still be doing F1 bits here and there. Um, but, you know, Formula E will, will be of interest to a lot of people, I'm sure. And hopefully everybody tunes in for, for all of our coverage. Right, so I'm off to go and take Matt's face off the thumbnail of the podcast on, on Apple Podcasts and replace it with your bearded picture i'll just do a screenshot of this call if you want <laughs> maybe it's best maybe it's best alone it's, it's I, coming I, home uh, to roost isn't it it was you that came up with that title <laughs> so now it's all yours finally all right check out our coverage this weekend on autosport.com and check out the uh, plus subscriber area uh, for the many many wonderful words jbl will write about formula e this year thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.